Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linke. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Hello and welcome to episode 16 in the final segment of the 2016 NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. My name is Dean Linky, and it has been an honor and a privilege to bring you this show and spend time with you each and every week of the college season. Thanks to all of you and all of our guests for making this first season of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast a special one indeed. It has been an amazing run through the championships down the stretch. Now, we promise to talk to every championship coach, and today we complete that promise 100%. Jeremy Gunn, who led the Stanford Cardinal to the Men's College Cup last weekend in Houston with a penalty kick shootout victory over Wake Forest, kicks off the program today as Stanford has won back-to-back Men's College Cups. You know, Jeremy Gunn was on episode one 15 shows ago as we saluted the reigning champs, and he closes out the season today You will like our visit with Jeremy Gunn. The NSCAA, in conjunction with the Missouri Athletic Club, has also announced the three semifinalists for the 2016 Men's and Women's Mac Herman Trophy. On the list from the women's side is Morgan Andrews from our Women's College Cup champions, University of Southern Cal, as well as Stanford junior midfielder Andy Sullivan and Canadian superstar and West Virginia phenom Kadisha Buchanan. Kadisha finished second last year to Penn State's Raquel Rodriguez. She is back again and could win it this year, and Kadisha Buchanan is on the program. On the men's side, the three semifinalists are from Bob Butehorn's Florida Golf Coast team, the Spaniard goal-scoring sensation Albert Ruiz, as well as Maryland's big-time goal scorer Gordon Wild from Germany, and the maestro of the Wake Forest midfield Ian Harks. Now, Ian Harks' father, John Harks, one of the most legendary U.S. soccer figures of all time, won the Herman Trophy in 1987 at Virginia. And he is on to talk about his son Ian, college soccer, and what winning the Herman Trophy meant to him. And while Gordon Wild and Ian Harks could not join us because of exams, Gordon's head coach, Sasso Sarosky from the Maryland Terrapins, is kind enough to join us to talk about Gordon and make another push for a full academic year soccer season. Sasho is always great. And to close out our final show with his thoughts on the entire season, the good, the bad, and even the surprises, is once again Rob Kehoe, the NSCAA Director of College Programs. Another great show as we close out the 2016 college soccer season, and we begin with a championship flair as we are joined by Jeremy Gunn, head coach of the Stanford Cardinal, your back-to-back men's college cup champions. It's Coach Gunn after this message. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. And we kick off episode 16, the finale of the 2016 NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with yet another championship coach. 12 for 12 on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast as we are joined by Jeremy Gunn, who in back-to-back years has led the Stanford Cardinal to the men's Division I 
College Cup last year with Jordan Morris, this year with a different team, nonetheless still a champion. I got to believe, Coach Gunn, the smile is still on your face. Yeah, I know we talked at the beginning of the year and we were we were mainly talking about the year before and um, I, I didn't expect to be in this position to be day, to, to be honest today. Well, incredible run, and obviously you beat two quality teams, and we know the story as well. It took penalty kicks to get it done, but you also know the story. You got to do what you got to do to win, right? Most definitely, you know. And as you go through the course of the season, we played some incredible, expansive soccer. You know, we scored goals with more than twenty passes, and we were really on the front foot all the time. But you know, you get to national semi-finals and finals, and it it was super tough. And you know, maybe we didn't have quite as much attacking firepower this year, but we certainly had a resilience and we certainly had an unbelievable belief in ourselves. Well, let's talk about that resilience because it's only fitting that you were on episode one of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast as the reigning champion. And then you kind of hit it at the fact that uh, maybe they don't know exactly what they're talking about, ranking us number one just because <laughs> we won it the year before. It was a rough start to the season, but then that resilience really settled in. Talk about that story. Yeah, you know, we we were ranked number one going into the season, and I thought that that was definitely inflated, and it was a it was a nice gesture of um, recognizing last season's performance. But you know, we replaced five full time starters that was basically seventy five percent of the heartbeat of the team. Um, we retooled another two players into new positions, and so it, it was it was quite a different team. But I think. Um, we did so well this year because of the attitude starting in January when the team came back. Um, you take a look at a group and you wonder, are they fat and happy or are they still really hungry, you know? And uh, our boys were hungry. And so we had an incredible year leading into the season. Um, but, you know, at the beginning of the season, results didn't go our way. It wasn't that we played particularly badly. Um, we learned the, the quick lesson that we were going to have the toughest schedule in the country because everybody was bringing their A game against the, the defending champion. And also, I think that we just had to learn that, um, you know, the results weren't going to fall in our lap no matter what people ranked us. And so um, after four games, when you still haven't got a win, you're, you're actually wondering where the season's going to go to. But um, we had the foundation there. It was just about kind of restarting and, and refocusing some of our energy in different parts of the field. And uh, lo and behold, we, we got going. And then by mid-season, I just started to see, wow, these, these boys are confident. They're doing well. And I, at that time, I thought, if we get into the tournament, we'll be more experienced than anybody else. But um, at that point, you still never really know what's in store for you. Well, I don't know if you've done the math, but three of the last six years, a Jeremy Gunn coach team has been in the NCAA final. Of course, you did it your last year in UNC Charlotte, and now the last two years, you've walked away with the national championship at Stanford. So whatever you're doing is working. Can you share some of that secret sauce? Yeah, you um, you surround yourself with people who make you look smart, right? <laughs> um, no, I've, I've been fortunate. At Charlotte, we had an incredible staff there. Um, and we had a great group of people that really, really came together. That that team that made the final there started out four years before at 150th, and it, it grew together as a group. And, you know, it was interesting. People critiqued that we didn't get to attack as much in the finals there, but we'd actually scored more goals than anybody else in that national tournament. But again, come final four time, it was, it was tough going, you know. Um 
And then with this group at Stanford, we've we've had some amazing players. And I think, you know, yet again, if I could, if I could say anything that I'm truly proud of, it's that we um, we feel we create a really good culture. We create standards and we keep to them, and and we push people hard, and they they love the challenge and they accept the challenge, and so. Every, every day we're just trying to push. We're just trying to improve. Um, you know, when team, you know, when people get to see our team in a national final, they can critique that it's not perfect. But um, you know, soccer's never perfect unless maybe you're watching Barcelona on its special days. You know, and um, but we we have a, a great resilience. Uh, we love what we do. We enjoy training every day. We enjoy playing every day. And as a result, we kind of go into a season saying, let's see how many games we can play. And um, like you say, in the last six years, we've managed to play the maximum number of games a couple of times. So it's, it's wonderful. Well, you're having a lot of fun in Palo Alto, and we talked about that last year in UNC Charlotte. But another part I like about your story, particularly as you think about the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, Jeremy Gunn, where every single week we focus more than just Division One. We talk D2, D3, NAIA, Junior College. And here you go at Fort Lewis in 2005. You won the D2 National Championship. You made it back the next year, so you know how important the other levels are. Oh, most definitely. And I think, you know, there's there's different areas of resources there's different areas of um abilities of players but there's, there's certain ways of doing things and i think across the board no matter what level you're at whether you're in the the headliners at division one or you're across the country in any of the thousands of teams there's, there's great journeys to be had and you know college soccer and college sport is so special because people get to spend the best years of their lives together and they get a purpose during their college time where they can, you know, do their studies and also focus on something that, that's really special and will, will stay with them for the rest of their lives. And so, um, you know, played across the country all over and been fortunate to have great groups wherever I've gone. And certainly I'm, I'm very spoiled where I am today, but um wasn't always quite as spoiled at some of the places where we were, for sure. All right, coming up uh, on this program, Rob Kehoe, the director of NSCA College Programs, will do the wrap party. He'll wrap up these 16 shows and put a bow on the 2016 college soccer season. And with the good, sometimes there's the bad. And Rob did take some time, Jeremy, to talk about a little bit of disappointment in the surface at Houston and, of course, the crowd and how we appropriately crown a champion. I'll also give you the floor, knowing that Rob has also touched on it, and he'll wrap our show. Well, like I said, college sports are fantastic, and um, they're quite unique in the world because nowhere else in the world does it this way. Um, And when you're looking at how you develop talent and how you provide a landscape for soccer in America, a lot of people think that they should start copying other countries, but that's not true. We have something special here. Um, and it, it produces great talent. It also produces people that are fit for life. They're, they're ready to take on pro sport. They're ready to take on great jobs and be good human beings. And so we have to keep cultivating college soccer. Now, there are some issues that the season is too compacted. We'd love to stretch it out so that people can enjoy a more balanced lifestyle between the schooling, the sports, and the college life. Um, and also... You know, the the tournament, when you're playing back-to-back games on a weekend, Friday night and then Sunday lunchtime, there's, there's no way in the world we're going to play our best soccer, and we, we know that going into it. And so um, we love college soccer. It gives so much to, to U.S. soccer. But 
there are changes that we do have to make and what we what we really need that the changes are there to be made um they make perfect sense they're very rational very logical um but what we do need is everybody's support in making this shift um because if it doesn't then we won't keep progressing and and we won't keep developing well, as you know, they'll be talking about this at the NSCA convention in Los Angeles, where, again, the good and the bad, there'll be great networking, great sessions, and you'll be getting some hardware, I'm sure, as well, and recognized as well as a lot of your players. So a lot to be done in Los Angeles. Talk about uh, why you're looking forward to being at the convention, Jeremy. It's, it's awesome. I've, I've been going for over 20 years now. And um, first and foremost, you get to see tons of old friends and when you've played the sport and then you've coached the sport and you've been in different areas um, you kind of joke when you're at the convention and you have to walk 200 yards sometimes it takes you two hours because you just keep getting to bump into old friends that you played with and different things like that and then of course the sessions are magnificent you get to they get to bring in some wonderful coaches from all over and um, the great thing about watching other people's sessions is that you know, you get to you get to learn things. You get to beg, steal, and borrow. You get to critique. You get some things that you like, and you think, okay, I can work with with that. And then other things that you say, well, that that wouldn't suit me. And so, it's an awesome educational time, and it's an incredible network time, and it's also a lot of fun getting to see everybody. And um, it also makes you stop and realize just how big the sport is in the U.S. Because obviously, around the world, people think that soccer isn't treated so well in the U.S., but it's it's an amazing sport here, and it continues to grow. And every year, I know, you know, everything about the sport keeps growing. And when you look at all the young kids, how how good they're becoming. Um, I'll be at the NSCAA convention, really enjoying the time and really being excited about the future here. Well, and the NSCAA continues to spend time on college soccer. You talked about that key issue, but even just this podcast now has been pretty exciting, Coach. What do you think? I'm sure it's listened to all over the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be a stretch, but I appreciate your imagination very much indeed. Jeremy Gunn, the head coach of the Stanford Cardinal, back-to-back national champions, winners of the Men's College Cup. Thanks so much for being with us, Jeremy. Happy New Year, happy holidays, all that good stuff. Thank you so much. You have a great week, okay? When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America announced just yesterday the men's and women's finalists for the 2016 Mac Herman Trophy based on voting by NCAA Division I soccer coaches. The three men's finalists are Wake Forest University senior midfielder Ian Harks, Florida Gulf Coast University junior forward Albert Ruiz, and University of Maryland sophomore forward Gordon Wild. Harks helped lead the Demon Deacons to the College Cup final, while Ruiz and Wild were the top two goal scorers in NCAA. Division I men's soccer this season. The three women's finalists are University of Southern California senior midfielder Morgan Andrews, West Virginia University senior defender Kadisha Buchanan, and Stanford University junior midfielder Andy Sullivan. 
Andrews, a two-time NSCAA All-American, and Buchanan, a four-time NSCAA All-American, met in the College Cup Final. The Mac Herman Trophy, the most coveted individual honor in NCAA Division I soccer, has been awarded annually since 1967. This year's winners will be announced on January 6, 2017, in conjunction with the 2016 Mac Herman Trophy Banquet at the beautiful Missouri Athletic Club in St. Louis. Last year, on the women's side, the winner was Penn State's Raquel Rodriguez, but also there was West Virginia's first ever semifinalist, the ultra-talented and Canadian international superstar Kadisha Buchanan. She has to be considered a favorite to win, and she's kind enough to join us now on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Kadisha, thanks for being with us. No, thanks for having me. All right, before we talk about the Mac Herman Trophy, incredible season, incredible career, came up just a little bit short. Talk about your season, that final game, what it all meant to you. Yeah, this season was phenomenal. I think it was like a season of history-making for this program, and it was definitely exciting to be a part of. As you mentioned, yeah, we came up just a bit short. I mean, that's not a testament to how um, the, the whole league and the whole season um, played out to be. Definitely proud. Um, this year was like one of like the proudest um, seasons I had, um, just in terms of team dynamics, team performance. It's just exciting to be a part of. We've had Nikki Izzo Brown on the program. We talked about her incredible connection to Canada, even long before you came there. So obviously, you right. saw that connection to Canada. What has Nikki Izzo Brown meant to you, and why did you come to West Virginia? Yeah, I definitely talked about the the link between um, West Virginia and Canada. Um, and I think that brought me here because connection um, in Canada. Um, I went to go visit the school. Um, there's a few Canadians that were there that were part of the youth national team that I was watching on TV. So I knew that they're great players. And if they chose um, West Virginia, um, this program is great. So I ended up looking in more and more into um West Virginia, and they're a program that's just going up. Like every year, they get better and better, and I think that's what brought me to this program because they're all about improvement and um and change. So that was definitely exciting to be a part of. And when I got there, I can get a great change um to this program as well. In terms of Izzo, um, she always says she's my second mom here in the states. She's done like phenomenal job for me. Like in terms of not even just a coach, but just as a person to talk to off the field about anything, every and anything. I love it. Let me uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, Kadisha Buchanan. Closing in on 60 caps for the Canada full national team with three goals. She's the four-time reigning Big 12 Conference Defender of the Year. Four-time NSCAA All-American, which is perfect because this is the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. 2016 Rio Olympics bronze medalist, ESPNW Player of the Year, Top Drawer Soccer Player of the Year, two-time team captain, helped West Virginia post a nation and program best 18 shutouts this year. Since her arrival in 2013, West Virginia posted 55 shutouts and allowed just 62 opponent goals, just 62 in her four years there, 2015 FIFA Best Young Player Honoree. Talk about Canada as well. You hear all of that, those stats. How's it make you feel, Kadisha? It's definitely crazy um, to think about some of these awards that um, you just don't expect to have. And 
I think it just shows um, my hard work, dedication throughout this um, the sport. It's just I think it's just a passion that drives these awards because I just play because I love the game and the outcomes it shows by um, all these athletes. All right, tell us a little bit about your background as well because you're one of 12 children to Howard and uh, Mercedes Tate. Yeah. yeah, talk about that a little bit. Growing up, definitely uh, it's a soccer household. Um, most of my brothers and sisters played um, the game and my dad also played as well. And he, she's um, a soccer mind. Like, he has great knowledge um, of the game, and I think I took that from him. My mom's athletic too. She so used to do track. Um, so it definitely come from a sports background. Growing up, um, just my love grew for the game throughout, through my brothers and my sisters and my dad as well. And two of my other older sisters played, and we just always kick a ball in the backyard and in the basement. Always just competing against one another, and I think that's where I get my competitive, competitiveness and how I became who I am just because they didn't take the light on me. Um, they're always hard. Uh, they never gave me leeways. So I had to work and challenge, challenge them as well. I know you take great pride in wearing that Canadian jersey. Great, great pride. Talk about what it means to represent your country. I mean, it's always been a dream of mine to represent um, Canada. I'm so proud and honored to have the opportunity to do so and hopefully continue to do so in the future. Um, Words can describe like how um, honored I am to wear wear that jersey at every international, every tournament. It's just it's just proud. Now you mentioned future. You will have so many opportunities in front of you. A lot of people will be hoping that you'll go NWSL, but of course, over in Europe, there's a lot of opportunity as well. What's the process right now for Kadisha Buchanan, where a lot of doors are going to open for you? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a similar process when choosing a school and, and why I chose West Virginia, I think the main thing for me is comfortability, a sense of belonging um, in that type of environment. So right now I'm just looking to see why I best fit um, in a team. And, and that's, that's exciting. I think I'm really excited um, for the future to see what unfolds. That's going to be a great process. Another thing that a lot of your fans love is always wondering about the hairstyle, which way you're going to go. You know, talk about that because that's a key part of your personality, and we love that. Yeah, and I think that's where I get that from my mom. She's definitely um, when she's in the sense, um, that she's famous for all her hairstyles, and and fans want to take a picture of her and. They tell me, um, hey, Kanisha, can you take a picture of me and your mom? <laughs> so I'm the one taking pictures. So just to show how crazy um, her style is, and I think I, that's why I got from her, is just her uniqueness and, and with her hair and style. All right. So turning it back to how we started, the 2016 Mac Herman Trophy is going to be awarded on January 6th in St. Louis. Last year, you were there. You saw Raquel Rodriguez win it. What do you remember about that experience and how excited are you to be going back? Definitely um, exciting and um, crazy, like proud to see, um, obviously, Raquel win it. Uh, She had a phenomenal year and I think just looking at how her year went and how my year went, like I think it's just a confidence going into this Mac Herdman um, ceremony. Like, it was definitely great um, being there. A lot of <laughs> funny because like, I was just honored and excited and proud that I actually got the opportunity to win because the travel was kind of hard coming from Canada and um, going to um, Missouri. So 
I was just happy to be there um, when I got there. Um, just enjoyed um, my time and my stay there. Definitely excited for 2016. Well, obviously, if you do win, I think uh, you know, having been there, your coach presents you. So what will it mean to have Nikki Izzo-Brown present you if you do win? It'll definitely be an honor and um, crazy to see what she has to say about me. I always drive her crazy, so um, she's very um, interesting influential person for women's soccer and women's like coaching in general so to hear what she has to say about me it'll be interesting and and exciting all right finally i'm going to put you on the spot and i know it's not going to be easy because you've already had an amazing career and i already read those credentials which only begins to tell the story but if you could pick one or two of your best memories so far knowing you're going to make so many more so so many more including i think helping canada to a world championship someday what's been your best two memories so far kadish can you pick a couple so i think the first memory will be this season alone it goes along with top like winning a bronze medal although we didn't end up winning the natty I feel like we won in with our own pride and how we performed and how just in general how the season went. I think this season was like mind blowing and people did not expect us to be that strong and just proving people wrong and just like putting this program West Virginia on on the map and and it's not that like we're they're on the bottom somewhere. I think people do can feel like a sense of fear when they hear they're playing West Virginia. So I think we did a great job with that this season and I always like to. But when you hear names like Tanner, or I like to put fear when you hear that name. So to do that for this program, if you hear West Virginia, uh, people are going to fear us. So I think um, that's great. That's one of my favorite memories. And when, my last memory is obviously winning a bronze medal at the Rio Games. That was a um, phenomenal feeling to beat Brazil at home with their crowd. Yeah, that was tremendous. All right, last thing here. When you think about Mia Hamm winning the Mac Herman Trophy, Christine Lilly, Christine Sinclair, some of the greatest yeah. players in the world, what will it mean to have your name amongst them if you can win it? Oh, my gosh. I think that's one of the reasons why um, I heard of this, because a lot of those great players um, won it. And to put my name on the same list as those players will mean a lot. It's crazy because all those players are like, top world-class players and like they changed the game so much um Mia Hamm and Christine Sinclair in, um, in Canada so to hear my name along those those high caliber players it'll be a crazy feeling or if I I, I, I win <laughs> what a great personality a fantastic player and the future is so bright for you we'll be watching every step of the way good luck in your professional pursuits and good luck with the Canada national team and good luck in St. Louis as part of the Mac Herman Trophy presentation no I really appreciate it and thanks for um, giving me a call Thanks, Kadisha Buchanan. I want to also thank Shannon McNamara, the fine SID at West Virginia, and Nikki Izzo-Brown, the head coach who made sure that Kadisha was on the program. And for sure, Kadisha Buchanan has a great shot at winning the Mac Herman Trophy on the women's side. On the men's side, we mentioned Florida Gulf Coast University, Albert Ruiz, Maryland's Gordon Wild, and Wake Forest. Ian Harks. Now, Ian's dad, John Harks, won it at Virginia, the Herman Trophy, back in 1987. His son could win it this year. We'll talk to the legendary U.S. soccer superstar, John Harks, about his son and his path when we come back on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. 
The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at nscaa.com. As you know, in early January, the 2016 Mac Herman Trophy winners will be announced for the best male and female college soccer players. And for the first time ever, we could see a father and son win the Mac Herman Trophy. Back in 1987, John Harkes, one of the most legendary soccer figures in U.S. history, won it. And now his son, Ian Harkes, who had an amazing season leading the Wake Forest Demon Deacons all the way to the College Cup Final. He could also win it. And I am joined now by my good friend, John Hartz. John, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, Dean. Always great to be on with you and talk soccer, my friend. I mean, listen, when you hear that, you won it in 87. Now your son could win it in 2016. That's pretty amazing, John. Yeah, it's a a special moment. And, And for Ian, I'm very happy that you know he has you know certainly enjoyed um you know the game and uh he's worked extremely hard and so you know you're only as good you know as the people around you you know the players the coaches that help you know get you there and so you know for me yeah I'm very proud you know Cindy and I my wife uh, and our family are always proud of our kids about the way they carry themselves just how they are never mind that the soccer is a bonus on top so it's an exciting time for him. He's you know, getting to the College Cup final is something that that's that's really hard to do. And um, you know the seasons that he's played there and, and done extremely well. So I'm excited. Here's the thing, John. This is the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. It's our 16th edition. We've done one pretty much every season since college soccer started. And here you are, John Harks. You played professionally. You were over in England. You're on multiple World Cup teams. You're on an Olympic team. You're a successful Major League Soccer player. I mean, you're career is unbelievable and yet you clearly encouraged Ian hey I played college soccer for three years college soccer is a good thing tell us about that decision well it is a good thing I, I think you know when you you look at the development and the growth of um, you know not just as a as a player but you're also you know as a young man and you know for him to study and then get a, a business degree from from Wake Forest it really kind of get, makes you a little bit more rounded, uh, well-rounded. Um, his thought process, his development and everything, uh, it wasn't like he was going to race, you know, at 17, 18 years old to say, like, I want to go pro right away, and he did. Um, but having said that, we we as a family felt it was important for him to, be, to get his degree, to go through the process. You know, we encourage that. There's going to be development that, that comes from so many different ways. You know, even if you go back to discussions, Dean, you and I have talked about at the youth levels, you know, uh, development academy, does, uh, do you cancel out playing for the high school levels? Well, sometimes you gain certain things from the high school, depending on the program and the coach that's there, you know, and, and, and adding that little bit to your game along the way kind of helps, helps you become more well-rounded. And I see Ian today and the way that he plays and his temperament and the way he controls himself on the field and, you know, his touches on the pressure, everything about it. And we're, we're really happy with the decision. And I think, you know, the main thing is him, what he wants to do. We, he's a young man. He makes his own decisions. So 
he seems to be very excited about where he is. All right, before we get to the next step, John, I got to tell you, seeing him score that goal against Denver and then seeing that smile and even the hand gestures, if that wasn't John Harks to a T, I don't know what it was. I mean, it, it gave me chills, John. I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, but it, it, it's funny. You know, it, it makes you feel good, I mean, within a family, and um, he's got a great personality. I think that with anything in life, I mean, it's you got to have a sense of humor. So, you know, what a great counterattacking goal. What a team goal, I thought, you know, number one. He's he's very fortunate to put himself in a good spot. He sprinted to get up there, and he finished it. And, yeah, the celebration, he was happy. You could tell and the guys and the way he was just kind of playfully doing it. I thought it was fun. It was good to see. I mean, and, and you can't forget that part of the game. I mean, you work hard, but you got to – there are parts and there, there are rewards. I mean, you see that – you know, with every team that's in the Final Four, whether it be, you know, Denver and UNC and Stanford. I mean, they all compete to get where they are, but you got to actually, you know, there's a respect in the game and understanding you can't put too much in emphasis on the winning-losing column. It's more about the experiences and the moments, and I think he enjoyed those moments. Gosh, it looks so much like when you scored that incredible goal of the year over in England. Okay, so first of all, John, thanks so much for breaking down why he went to Wake Forest and even tipping your hat to high school soccer as well. That was fantastic. But now the agents are calling. The next step is there. What are the plans for Ian Harks as he moves forward? Well, I think yeah, we, we understand uh you know, Dean, it's a process, and uh, right now he's taking exams. I mean, a lot of people forget uh, the balance that these guys in the juggling act they have to do. Uh, you know, they're, they're on plane flights on Wednesday going down to Houston for the College Cup, and they, they're doing exams and tests and the tutoring and everything. So they're trying to juggle all that stuff. He still has a couple exams to get through. He'll be done this week, and then, you know, there's been a lot of agents, like you said, that have contacted him, and you know, want to work with him. And, uh, you know, so it's a process. I mean, a lot of discussions are being had, uh, certainly different options that we're exploring, you know, about you know where he can play next. I think, you know, always important to keep things even keeled and, and to understand that he's very fortunate to have these options. And when you explore these options, then we'll, we'll figure it out along the way. Can you rush into anything at this point. Can you believe that in 1987 you're in St. Louis at the Missouri Athletic Club walking away with the Herman Trophy, and now you're going back to St. Louis early January with your son? What do you remember about that 1987 ceremony, John Harks? Well, I remember that it being an exciting, incredibly exciting moment for me, but also for a UVA program, for Bruce Arena, for the coaching staff, for the players that helped me get there. I, I remember all that, and I think it's, you're representing, you know, more than just yourself. It's your family. It's it's everything that you. So to be fortunate to be in that group of players uh, across the country is amazing. And uh, you know, so it, yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time. Um, there are a lot of quality players that are across the country right now. Obviously, um, you know, for me and my coaching staff at FC Cincinnati, we do you know a very thorough job of of, you know, scouting, and, and we know we're very aware of the players, you know, their style of play, their technique, and their personalities, things like that. So it, it's exciting to be thrown into that group, and I'm sure he's looking forward to it. It should be exciting for our family as well. We're very proud of them. Of course, 
after that, you went on to an amazing career. In fact, uh, deciding to leave a year early, not to necessarily play professionally, but to prepare for the Olympics, and then it would be the World Cup in 90. I mean, when you think about uh, going back to my original question on Ian deciding to go to Wake Forest, you did those three years at Virginia, and it opened so many doors. Take us back to that time, the 88 Olympics, the 90 World Cup, the 94 World Cup, the great time in England. Yeah, I think it was it was different times, so, you know, Dean. I think um, – you know, when we, we talk about qualifying for a World Cup again, it, it's important. I think the Federation at that point realized that. They saw the talent that was coming through. Bob Ganser was a tremendous coach, and he opened the doors for it and believed in a lot of young guys. I mean, that's important. If you have a coach that is confident enough in his own ability as a coach, uh, you know, to observe, identify, and assess players and manage them properly, he made a big decision to kind of open the door for us there. And then the Federation, Samuel Galati at that time and Warner Fricker, um, you know, a, a lot of fantastic people that said, let's get the guys together, you know, full time here so that we can actually qualify and get back to the world stage. And so there was a commitment from the Federation. There was also a lot of discussions with Bruce Arena at that time about, I know you want to finish up in school and you want to get your degree and be the first one in your family to do that. Um, you know, but this this could be something that you really got to think about moving forward with your career. So for me, it worked out really well. Very fortunate, very fortunate indeed. And uh, um, you know, the landscape has changed dramatically. I mean, look, Ian went to Wake Forest based on style of play. Jay Davidovich at that time, you know, Ryan Martin, the, the coaching staff there, the style of play was fantastic. They played through the midfield, and that's how Ian was going to develop. And so now he's just looking to come out of that system and say. How am I going to continue my development and enjoying the, the game? And he wants longevity in the game. He doesn't want to be a flash-in-the-pan type of thing, and it didn't work out. He wants to have longevity. So hopefully all, all, all these things that are transitioning in uh, could be great for him. The Olympics, fantastic for me. You know, Qualifying for the 90 World Cup, absolutely fantastic. Very fortunate. And it was a great time for, for soccer in our nation. You know, A lot of guys coming together and believing in themselves and also having a coach to believe in them as well. Um, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And so you're always looking to have those opportunities. Speaking of opportunities, you were in the broadcast booth for a little while, but that coaching bug kept pulling you back, kept pulling you back. And now this opportunity at Cincinnati. A lot of people, when you first took it, probably were like even to your face saying, John, what are you doing in Cincinnati? What's going on there? And boom, 30,000 people a game later and MLS looking at Cincinnati. You knew exactly what you were doing. Real quickly before we wrap it up, tell us about your experience there and how great it's going. Experience has been phenomenal. You know, Dean, we, uh, you know, it's always going to be a challenge and a risk and you take those risks you know about building a club from scratch and uh you know it's it's something pretty special to be honest with you um it's exciting to be in the role that i have as a director of soccer and the head coach and um you know we have a lot of great people here working on and off the field to make it work the community has been such a great response the fan base is amazing the support that's here and i think it's been a long time coming for cincinnati so you're starting to see people coming out of the woodwork from generations past, but also the millennials and then also the future. I mean, the younger kids that are coming here, there's a strong soccer programs in this area. So a lot of high, exciting things happening here at Cincinnati. We had a great first season, and uh, now we just the, the big challenge is to sustain that and make it better. So we want to move forward. Now, lastly, as the Mac Herman Trophy, three semifinalists were announced today. And, of course, Ian Harks is on there. John, you're smart enough to know, particularly being a big-time personality, that a lot of people are going to 
tell this story. You won it in 87. Ian has a chance to win it now. How do you deal with that, making sure Ian gets the right attention, yet drawing the fact that you did win it in 87? Have you thought about that whole thing? I think it's fun to enjoy it and, um, and take it as it comes. I, I, you know, he's, you know, Ian always thinks bigger picture, you know, with a lot of things. And, um, you know, to be in that, the Matt Kerman, you know, a list from the, the great people of uh, the Missouri Athletic Club um, is tremendous. I mean, he doesn't, he certainly appreciates that. And he, he acknowledges the fact that it's um, it's a prestigious, massive award. It's huge. And so he'll take it all in. He's very even keel. He always tries to keep himself that way, which is great. Um, you know, we're excited for him as a family, but whatever happens, happens. And, you know, to be just thrown in there in the beginning is, is part of this and get to the finalist stage is pretty exciting for him. So, you know, look, I mean, at the end of the day, um, that's what he works for. You know, you work for the accolades, but also he just gives back to the game. He loves the game so much. And, you know, if these things come along, that's great. If they don't, they don't. He's still going to play the game anyway. He's going to love it. So that's how uh, we try to raise him and keep him as as honest as possible in the game, and, you know, he's going to enjoy it. College coaches, college soccer fans, NSCA members, I can't think of a better guest. A guy who went to Virginia for three years, won the Herman Trophy, his son goes to Wake Forest, gets a business degree, now getting ready to go to the next level. Perhaps we'll see him on a major league soccer team or maybe even overseas. And, John, what a great job you did spending time with us. And here's the thing, you saved me because you have this uncanny ability to make me laugh every time you have any kind of conversation with me. And we didn't do that, so I appreciate that. I'm going to laugh just thinking about you making me laugh, though. That was great, John. Well, I, I thought I was interviewing Dean Linky. That's what I was called. <laughs> I was supposed to be interviewing you. That's amazing. Oh man, this but, was uh, awesome. It was great to talk to you, Dean. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, call me anytime. I appreciate it, John. All the best. Thanks for being with us. All right, Dean. Take care. Thanks, pal. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. I want to thank John Harks for being on, talking about the Mac Herman Trophy award list. His son, Ian Harks, is on as John Harks and Ian Harks hope to become the first father-son combination to win it. One man perhaps standing in the way, though, is Gordon Wild. 17 goals, 5 assists, 6 game winners for the Maryland Terrapins, led by head coach Sasso Sarosky, who, like Jeremy Gunn, also on this program, joined me for episode 1. 15 shows later, he joins me again this time to talk primarily about young Gordon Wild, one of three semifinalists announced for the Mac Herman Trophy. Sasso, thanks for being with me. Dean, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Big pickup coming from USC Upstate, Gordon Wild. I saw him, I think I called five Maryland games this year on the Big Ten Network. And let me just say, Sasho, he is the real deal. You see him every day. Give us your thoughts. Well, he's the real deal as a human being. He's a terrific young man. You know, when he considered transfer from USC Upstate, uh, the coach there asked him to stay in the spring because – it might affect their APR rate, and uh, Gordon could have pushed the issue and left, but he decided to stay loyal to the coach that brought him there and, and stayed there, and I, I immediately was impressed with his character. This summer, he showed up on campus early, uh, took summer classes, and immediately got to work integrating with the players through summer pickup, workouts in the weight room, some individual stuff, and you could see this kid had uh, some special qualities, and 
You know, he's got a magical left foot. He's got a great, great nose for the goal. He just loves to score. He's one of these forwards that lives to score. And it's something we were lacking the year before, and I was really excited. And he certainly delivered. He had a fantastic year for us this year, scored so many big goals in big games and in different ways. And uh, uh, I think there's still uh, a lot more... Uh, development ahead uh, for him, but he's got a bright future. Well, you think about great forwards coming out of Maryland, Jason Gary, Patrick Mullins, Gordon Wilde, the next on that list, right? Yeah, he, he reminded me a lot of Patrick Mullins, in fact, and that's when I first saw the video and he sent it over and expressed interest. I thought to myself, oh my, this is uh, looks a lot like Patrick with a with a great left foot. And he was the kind of player that, uh, uh, you know, even if your team is, is not in, in best form, you have a chance to win because he can manufacture a goal out of a, a split moment, uh, and we saw that in the Big Ten tournament when a loose ball bounced loose. Uh, Jake Rosansky was dribbling forward. It, it just bounced uh, neatly for him, and he tucked it away in the only spot you could tuck it away. It was a, uh, it was a really a, a goal scorer's goal, uh, but with a lot of skill and flair. And uh, uh, we, we've seen that all year, and I'm delighted for him, you know, to to come to Maryland and now be a Herman Trophy finalist with. Uh, with Ian Harks and uh, Alberto Ruiz, you know, t- terrific, terrific players. And uh, looking forward to going to the banquet and, and, and celebrating uh, uh, Gordon and the other young men as finalists. It's a great event. Uh, the Missouri Athletic Club does a fantastic job. I've been there a number of times and looking forward to going back there. Well, you beat me to that question because uh, Missouri Athletic Club, they really do an amazing job. It feels like the Heisman Trophy, right? I mean, it's the Heisman Trophy of soccer. Well, you know, it, it, they almost do a better job than the Heisman. You know, they're, they're just a really nice banquet. Uh, there's a lot of youth, a lot of parents there, and it's it's a good celebration of college soccer. Um, and, uh, you know, I couldn't thank the Missouri Athletic uh, Club and and uh, the entire soccer community in St. Louis for, for doing what they do. It's a, it's, it's a thrill to be there uh, to celebrate the college game and, uh, and of course, to recognize some of the, the great individuals uh um, that are out there this year, including Gordon. Sasha, it's only fitting you're on the last episode of the NSCA College Soccer Podcast because you're on the first, and there was kind of a running thing. There wasn't a show where I didn't mention Sasha Sorosky and the Maryland Terrapins because it was justified. Now, I've not been able to talk to you since what Rob Kehoe caused the shocker of the season that lost to Providence. i got to do it now before we talk about next year and moving forward. Just talk about that game and how – Kind of how you're feeling about it, Coach? Well, it was a game where, uh, you know, it was a crazy game. It was extremely cold. There was uh, the, the wind was about 25, 28 miles an hour, but the wind gusts were in a 45-mile-per-hour range, and, and it was a factor, you know, in the first half. I thought we played actually a great game. Um, we're up 2-1 at halftime. You know, Providence scored a great counterattack goal. We scored a couple of nice goals. It was a good game. We come out in the second half, and we scored two goals in the first 10 minutes, and, you know, we had a – multiple goal lead we haven't had for almost six weeks and uh you know you got a three goal lead you're feeling pretty good about yourself but you know as a coach you're worried they're going to get one with the wind and certainly they got one and within 30 seconds they got a second goal that was a just a a world-class goal probably should be the goal of the year in college soccer certainly was wind aided but uh you have to give providence a lot of credit they didn't quit they're resilient uh and then it was one of those moments where we're, we're trying to make some changes but I think they scored uh, four goals on four shots um, in in the second half, and it was like everything that they hit towards the goal, even the corner in Olympico that just kind of, you know, did some crazy things in the air, and it was hard to really judge by the players. Uh, 
So you got to give Providence credit, but it was one of those as a coach, it's hard to reconcile because you felt like you played a great game, you did a lot of things well, and uh, um, it, it happens. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> we're moving on now. We're, we filed it. We're going to get stronger. We've learned some things about ourselves and our team, and we're ready for next year. Well, I apologize for bringing it up, so don't uh, put some coal in my, my stocking, <laughs> by the okay. way, by the chimney, please, Sasha. But um, moving forward, though, I mean, talking about uh, kind of good times and bad times, Rob Kehoe will end the program, and Jeremy Gunn started the program, the back-to-back national champion, talking about how great it is to win the College Cup, but it wasn't perfect in Houston. The surface wasn't good. The crowd wasn't there. Both Rob and Jeremy talked about it, and that kind of leads us back to episode one. One, when we talked about your efforts, along with so many coaches, I think you said 90% are on board at the D1 men's level to extend the college soccer season to a full academic year. Does Houston and what happened there add further credence to that fight? Oh, boy, I sure hope so, Dean. It, it, you know, we, we have to make changes for the good of the college game. You know, during the regular season, we've seen some great crowds. We've seen some terrific games. But the model we have is, is wrong. And if you just look at the, the, you know, the ultimate experience for the student-athlete, which is the College Cup, we have it all wrong. First, the first thing we have to do is, is recognize that we cannot play a Friday-Sunday uh, semifinal and final. It is totally, totally unfair to the student-athletes to try to play the two, two most meaningful games of the year within 36 hours rest. Both of these teams played an overtime game. There's an emotional energy. There's physical energy that is very difficult to come back and put on the great performance. But beyond that, it was disappointing. You know, uh, some people in Houston did a great job trying to put together a good event. But, again, it was a poor choice. And we as college coaches knew this would be a poor choice. You know, there's very few people in the stands. The field was terrible. And a, and a total disservice to the student-athletes. And I think the NCAA has to take responsibility here, and hopefully uh, they will start listening to the student-athletes and the coaches that, you know, we need a single-game championship. We cannot do this Friday-Sunday thing anymore. We'd have to take this and throw it in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and bury it because it, it's just wrong. We need a single-game championship, and uh, coaches – I've been talking about various solutions in the short term if we stay in the same season and certainly the long-term solution that addresses all of those issues in the academic calendar over two semesters. And uh, I certainly hope that the soccer community, the student-athletes, the coaches, you know, start pushing harder and harder for real change. I still feel good we have a chance to make some real change, but again, you look at that and, you know, I just feel bad for all the teams that made it to the, to the College Cup this year that they're faced with a terrible field with poor attendance and having to deal with, with playing on a Friday, Sunday, which all of us know is against the best practices of sports science for the sport of soccer. and That's so well um, said. And with the convention coming to Los Angeles in January, I know the college coaches will get together more, but is there anything – People listening, coaches that are listening, can do Sasho to learn more to fight the right fight here. Well, you know, I, I, I think that the youth, you know, we, we need we need the parents of of of, uh, of the youth going to college. We need the the, the student athletes really need to rise up here. The, the student athletes need to kind of say, look, we can't do this. This is wrong. We don't want to play fewer games. We need this calendar to be pushed and passed. And uh, you know, I just think it, you know. We have to get to the athletic directors and the faculty reps 
um, on your own campuses, you know, because when votes come, we got to get people to understand the issues. You know, we have a good video out there. We have a lot of motivated coaches, but we still need to get people out. We need people. We need the media to 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 really move the needle here. We need anybody that cares about college soccer in any way, shape, or form that cares about soccer in this country to help us move the needle to get this passed. Talking about moving the needle, we started out talking about the Mac Herman Trophy, so I want to end with it, particularly as I think about great soccer families. You know, you think about Sasha Swarovski and Shannon Higgins. Then you think about John Harks and Cindy and now Ian Harks. And John on this program goes on about the fact that he believed college soccer was the right fit for Ian Harks. Now his phone is ringing off the hook. What a great statement as well. And then now the Harks, and I know it could be at the loss of Gordon Wilde, but the Harks have a chance to do something no one's ever done a father and a son win the Mac Herman Trophy? Well, Ian has had a remarkable year and a remarkable career. I've known Ian since he was uh, a youngster playing in these areas, and to see his uh, transformation as a player has been been fantastic. And I think he is uh, a great story for development in this country. You know, he, he, he developed not only with the D.C. United Academy, but with Gonzaga High School, I, I, I playing high school soccer. I thought really, really helped Ian become a better leader, uh, a, a more forceful uh, midfielder. And then his development at Wake Forest, it was every year he improved in certain aspects of his game. And, you know, a lot of people want to poo-poo the college system. Well, take a look at Ian Harks because Ian's got a chance to come in and be a starter in MLS from day one next year. Uh, and he's improved every single year. And we see great stories like that all the time. So I'm really uh, proud to be friends with the Harks family and to see Ian developing the way he did is, is, is a great testament for the college game and also inclusive of high school soccer um, because, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's certainly a, a deserving finalist and uh, whether he wins the award or not, uh, he's a great story. But uh, he's had a great career and I'm proud of them. Incredible, Sasho. I had a front row seat to your team this year. Just an amazing, amazing team. A great group of guys. I know it didn't finish the way you wanted it to, but still a phenomenal year to look back on undefeated in the regular season. Listen, thanks for all your access all season long, really every year as well. Happy holidays to you and your family, and we'll see you in Los Angeles. And Dean, thank you for doing great work on behalf of college soccer and helping us get the word out about this great game and the great experience for student-athletes. So thank you, and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. Finally, to wrap things up here on Season 1 of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, Episode 16, I thought it was only fitting that we'd be joined by now a longtime associate, colleague, and good friend as part of the NSCAA College Game of the Week, our former weekly review show, and now this really cool NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. In fact, it was his vision to even have this podcast, and I'm talking about the NSCAA Director of College Programs, Rob Keo, Rob, thanks for being part of what we're going to call the rap party here on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Oh, it's good to be with you, Dean. Well, Rob, as mentioned in last week's podcast, this week we want to take a look back at the college season and particularly Division One that we've been discussing during the tournament. In your view, what were the stories of the year? Well, probably the number one story on the Division One women's side was University of Southern California winning the national championship. And it's 
interesting in the College Cup, the Final Four this year, was a little bit of a different makeup. Typically, we've seen a grouping of teams that you could almost predict who they would be in the College Cup. But this year, we had two first-timers, which would be West Virginia University that came in as the number one ranked team in the country, as well as Georgetown, and also a team that hadn't been in the College Cup since 2012. University of North Carolina was back. And then USC, who won the national championship in 2007, their first appearance in the College Cup, they came back. And I think another story, because there's two more that I think are important on the women's side. One is just the emergence of more and more teams that are competing. Uh, For instance, in the Pac-12, you had Colorado that, tied for second in the Pac-12. Utah was in the top five. Both teams that made some runs in the NCAA tournament, and typically they're not teams that have been at that level of accomplishment. In the Big Ten, you had Northwestern finished in the top 20 this year, and their program had been down for a number of years and never has been to the heights that it achieved this year under the direction of Mike Moynihan and David Nikolic uh, as they've really brought that program to a high level of status now in the Big Ten and nationally. I think the other story that really had a significant impact this year was the U-20 World Cup and the number of players from Division I teams that were a part of that roster and if you look at Penn State, the 2015 national champion for Division I women, they had five players this year that took a redshirt year and went to play on the U-20 team in the World Cup. And certainly that affected, I'm assuming, Penn State because they were not near the level that they've achieved in the past. UCLA, uh, North Carolina, and Notre Dame all had two players off their rosters as well. And when you think of UCLA, that's two plus Mallory Pugh, who was scheduled to start at UCLA in the fall but didn't. So I think you look at all of those programs that are typically competing in the Final Eight, Final Four, those I think had some significant impact. Although, as you see, North Carolina had two players playing in the World Cup. They still made it to the College Cup. So those are some of the big stories I saw on the women's side. We've chronicled thousands of games and stories through the season. Do you have any on your list of top surprises? Probably the top surprise on the women's side was South Alabama beating Florida State early on in the year. That's probably the biggest surprise. And then if you think of stories of the year on the men's side, it would be parody. And looking at this to where in the final top 25 you have Denver at three. And not to say that Denver does, hasn't earned that. And as we know, they've only lost two games in the last two years. But still, they've not been one of the top-tier level programs in the NCAA tournament and certainly in national rankings, although this year they continued to climb and climb and climb. And they ended up in the College Cup, lost in the second overtime to Wake Forest on Friday. So that, I think, is a big story. But even when you look in the Division One men's side, in the top 25, you had Virginia Tech in the, in the top 10, and they hadn't been close to that level of of ranking for many years. And then in the top 25, ending the season, you have University of Albany, 
Butler, U- University of Massachusetts, Lowell, that just is still transitioning into Division One. They weren't qualified to play in the NCAA tournament this year, but they ended up with a record of 13-1 and 2. Loyola of Illinois uh, ended up at 14-4 and 1, made a run in the NCAA tournament, and also they had never achieved the results that they had this year. University of Pacific is a relatively new program at Division One, a brand new program. This isn't a program that transitioned into transitioned into Division One. They just had a startup a couple of years ago. They finished at thirteen four and two. Again, made a run in the or into the NCAA tournament. Florida Gulf Coast fourteen four and three. Lost in double overtime to North Carolina, who eventually ends up in the Final Four. So you see this on the on the men's side, just the parity continuing to grow. It is on the women's side as well, but many of these schools here on the men's side uh, have not certainly been of the status, but they continue to climb and compete. Surprise on the men's side, I would probably say the biggest surprise was Maryland losing to in the shocker to Providence in the second round of the NCAA. So that was probably the biggest shocker uh, and surprise of the season on the men's side. As the season recently wrapped up with the Women's College Cup in San Jose and the Men's College Cup in Houston, what is your take on how the season ended? Well, I guess my view, it's it's about disappointment. Uh, And I say this because both on the Women's Cup that was held in Nevada Stadium in San Jose, and then the Men's College Cup that was hosted in Houston at BBVA Compass Stadium. The venues just do not seem to fit the presentation desire for a showcase in the Division I college games. The stadiums are 22 to 25,000 seat stadiums. Uh, they're very difficult to attract the crowds in those stadiums, particularly at the game times. You look at the Women's College Cup in San Jose, the first game started at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday in the the Silicon Valley. How difficult is it going to be to get people to come to that game at 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon? And then the second game started in the middle of rush hour traffic at the same stadium at 5 o'clock. So it's very disappointing when the teams have made all of the strides that they have throughout the season to qualify for the NCAA, make the run through the tournament to get to the College Cup and Final Four, and then to play in a stadium that is only sparsely attended. And then in Houston, uh, and I, I should add this, both Houston and San Jose, their local organizing committees have done a terrific job in hosting they in terms of preparing reaching out to try to bring people to the stadiums to watch the games but it's middle of december again it's friday afternoons for semifinals sunday afternoons in the middle of the nfl season for the finals houston uh get there walk into the stadium look at the field and the field was in terrible condition and to think that you've got the top four qualifying teams for Division One men's soccer walking in and having to play on that field to what should have been the showcase of of the top quality of Division One men's soccer, and they they played on a field that 
as Bobby Muse uh, commented, was like running on sand. Uh, and there was a sand base. It was a field that is also the home field for football for Texas Southern University. And it was in very, very poor condition. So when you look at the finals in terms of the spectacle uh, that they could and should be, that ends up in disappointment uh, as far as I'm concerned. I'm thinking that we've had some opportunities to have some tremendous showcases of these events throughout the years, but this has become a pattern. We've been in these MLS stadiums. The game doesn't show well. The format, the structure isn't well suited to attracting attendance. And it's, again, it's a challenge. It's middle of December or early December for the Women's Cup and middle of December for the Men's Cup. Very, very difficult to get crowds. Now, with the season in the history books, what's on the horizon for college soccer and what are the top priorities going forward? Well, first of all, I mean, just mentioning the disappointment and how the season ends with the showcase event. So I think one of the things is to really address that. Right now we have 2018 sites that are selected for the Division I college game. The women's site is going to be in Orlando, Florida. And this, again, will be early December. The likelihood of attracting a good crowd for that showcase event is very slim. It will probably be in a beautiful stadium. I'm assuming the field will be beautiful. But, again, thinking about the sparse attendance and giving the recognition and the enthusiasm in the atmosphere of the event for the players, it's likely going to be missing. We go back to Philadelphia in 2017 for the Division One men. We were there in 2013. And it was, again, it was cold uh, between the semifinals and the finals. It snowed six inches. Uh, again, poorly attended. And we're going back there for 2017. 2018 through 2021, the NCAA is entertaining bids now to see what would be selected as hosts for the sites. And I think a number one priority is to really address this so that we're not putting the showcase event into venues that are either not willing or capable to support or they're outsized for the college game. That would be one priority. second priority, and this is for all divisions, is looking at a better model and structure for the season in terms of trying to get some relaxation on the compressed nature of the, the sport that's played in the fall where you have a 20-game schedule for the Division One men and women to be played within 12 weeks. Uh, sometimes that means three games in eight days. And... The Division One men and women are both looking to extend the season uh, differently at this time with the Division One men, as we've talked about for the last number of years, looking to extend the season into a full academic year calendar. And so <clears throat> that will be a major priority in terms of continuing to try to generate support from conferences and member institutions. We already know that it's very strongly supported by Division One men's coaches and student-athletes. And so this, I think, is going to be the year that we're going to have to push to see if we can get a decision on this. 
I've been working with the Atlantic Sun Conference on shaping a proposal. We've been in communication with a number of other conferences, which has been a big part of my last two weekends being in San Jose and in Houston, meeting with NCAA representatives, conference representatives, member institution athletic directors, and associate athletic directors with the view of talking about how can we improve the environment for the game. On the women's side, uh, they're not sure about going for a pursuit of a full academic year season or an extension in the fall, but they too are looking for somewhat of a means of reducing the compression of the season so there's more meaningful development during the season. There's better competition because of more rest and recovery during the between competitions as well as more balance personally and academically, reducing missed class time, uh, enabling more academic concentration, and all this could be addressed with extending the season. Divisions two and Division three are also looking for a change in the format of their tournament to get more time between their games so that, again, the health and safety of the student-athlete is a priority and the quality of the games is better. They're also looking for an extension on the front side of the season so they get better acclimatization time in their preseason training so that they ramp up more sufficiently towards the competition where they've had more time to prepare. So those are the the priorities, and they are they're really significant priorities for this year. Tournament regular season in terms of how that shapes so that, again, it provides a better overall environment and experience for the student-athlete, personally, academically, and athletically. Well said, Rob. What a great message, making sure it's about the student-athlete. I want to thank all of our guests on this show and every single episode of the 2016 NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. It's been an amazing season. Hope to be back with you next year as well. Don't forget, we've got more podcasts coming up next week through the convention covering key speakers and key issues that will happen at the 2017 NSCA convention in Los Angeles. For now, we say goodbye to all of our guests, and we thank Rob Keogh for being a part of the program. Thanks, Rob. Very good, Dean, and best wishes to you and family for terrific holidays. Look forward to seeing you in Los Angeles. Indeed, we'll see you, and we hope we'll see everybody listening to the NSCA College Soccer Podcast at the 2017 NSCAA Convention in Los Angeles. For everybody at the NSCAA, including our CEO, Lynn Berlin-Manuel, and our Director of Marketing, Sean Chevrolet, I'm Dean Linke. Happy holidays. We'll see you next week on the NSCAA Podcast covering the convention. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.